The gospel creates a different kind of speech, the good kind of speech that just announces with passion and pleading the grace of God, the beauty of God, the holiness of God, the goodness of God that we might get swept up into it. So I'm going to use words at you, and the Holy Spirit will actually use a very sinful man to bless your soul, maybe to convict you of sin, to call you to believe. That's what this time is. That's why every week of our lives, we give some space to this time for you to just humbly sit and listen, for a pastor to speak, and for the Lord to speak through that. So this is serious. Let's pray before we do this. Uh, Father, downstairs right now, 30 kids, eight teachers. I pray that your grace would be known in the basement of this church over the next 20 years, that the seeds of the gospel will explode into a harvest of holiness, fruitfulness that we just, we barely have the faith for. But I ask you for it anyway. Hear my prayer for that. In this room, enough of us who you can do a beautiful work through and a lot of joy if we would hear and believe and your spirit would be involved in that. So come and do that as well. And churches throughout this nation, this world, giving attention to your gospel. I pray that you bless the preaching of it all over. Hear our small prayer for that big thing, I pray. Amen. All right, we're preaching through what we're calling a seven-mile road, a field guide. What are we doing here? And why are we about those things together? If you're new, this is introduction to what it means for us to be a church. If you're not new, this is reintroduction and revitalization of who are we? And really that just means what is a, a biblically faithful church? What does that look like? Today we're doing big idea number three. All of these sermons are also chapters in a field guide that we're working on this year. So one thing I want you to know is a lot of this will be self-referential stories of our history. Uh, I do that when I need to, when I preach, but not all the time. In this series, it'll be a little more pronounced because we're giving testimony to what God has done in us and through us. So in all of these series, you'll hear more uh, stories about us and about me. Uh, that's a little unusual, but be ready for that. That's the way that we're writing this so that when you read it and our other churches read it, they can say, hey, these aren't just words. This has happened in the life of a church. The first big idea was we're going to believe the gospel together. The second big idea that emerged from that was, so we're going to be serious about sin and holiness together. Today is a synthesis or an implication of those two big ideas. It's this, we are going to walk in the light together. We are going to walk in the light together. One of the most profound things that Jesus, by his spirit, has done in the life of this church is to forge a culture where we not only long to be holy, but we are free to admit when we are not. That we not only long to be holy, but that we're free to admit when we're not. Seven Mile is a place where it is okay for people to not have it all together and to not 
perform admirably 99.9% of the time, to not be perfect, or even almost ah, just about perfect, actually to be not even close to perfect, to sin frustratingly, stupidly, repeatedly, ugly, but not to run and hide in that sin or to run and hide from each other when we sin, but to confess our sin and our need for Jesus' grace. That is an unusual thing to belong to a family like that. We do not tend to do that as humans from our first parents. When we sin, we run and hide. We do not tend to do that as Americans. We got to look good and get this thing done. And we totally, totally do not do that as American Christians. It's almost unheard of. We will be engaged with each other when we're on top of things. But when we are struggling or when we are sinning or when we are struggling with our sin, we get real quiet real fast. On a recent flight, I was reading a book called The Silent Wife. It was not as dark as Gone Girl, but it was like in that genre. Gone Girl, I needed like eight showers after reading that book. This was somewhere in there. It was a dark story about a godless, childless, self-absorbed marriage that just imploded. So on the outside, at the beginning of the book, you had this wicked, good-looking couple. He looked good. She looked great. But then his sin and her sin devastated this whole marriage. Right when things were hinging toward really bad, by that I mean putting a hit out on your husband bad, that bad, these words in the book. In the past, Jody had always been open with her friends. But that's when she was on top of things. Jody not being able to cope, however, is not something that they need to witness. Okay, does everyone feel this right here? In other words, Jody, the narrator and the woman in the story, it's all about community, all about authenticity, all about being real with her girlfriends until her performance faltered and she couldn't keep it all together. And the sin in her marriage and her, her life was being exposed. And that's when Miss Have It All Together became Miss Wicked Hot Mess. And she was stepping back from community with her friends. Does everyone feel that? We are not going to live that way together. We don't have to live this way together. God's grace in the gospel compels us to come clean in community about who we really are, the good and the bad and the ugly with no edits. God's grace in the gospel is not held out to us as long as we are Johnny cashing it, walking the line. Sidebar, I borrowed the Johnny Cash anthology from the Melrose Public Library just to try Southern country music. 
And I swear to you, I've listened to every song, CD one, two, three, and four, beginning to end in my car. And I still don't get it. God's grace in the gospel is not held out to you when you are Johnny cashing it and I'm walking that line. Have you heard that song? Oh, the pressure on this man in that song. No. God's grace in the gospel is held out to you because we don't walk the line. Can't walk the line. And we need his mercy and his cross and his power. And we need his community. We need his community to experience the forgiveness of and the freedom from sin. We don't walk the line. We walk in the light. We don't walk the line. We do walk in the light. All right, that's what this text is about. Let's hit it together. You could preach 10,000 sermons from the very first words of John's first letter. I want to look at these with you fast. He starts with these words. God Is it up there? Sorry. All right. It's not up here. Oh, here we go. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So the doctrine of God is the ground of all truth, and this is good gospel news. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Among other things, this means that he is holy and pure, All of the moral perfections in the universe coalesce in the person of God. It's awesome. It also means that he is trustworthy and he is safe. There is no shifty, shady, manipulative, scheming, double-crossing in God. If God goes in with you, he is in with you all the way. It also means that God is warm, inviting, illuminating, He enables us to finally see who we are and what it means for us to be human, to be what he's called us to be in the light of God, because God is light, we can see. You should read that doctrinal truth and just be like, that is the best news ever if this is who God is. And then John says this, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, this was last week. You can't have your words about God be over here and your life be over here. You don't get to play that game. No, no, no. Don't say that you're good with the one true and living God while living at odds with his will and his law and his way. That's, you don't do that. Then John says these words, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, walking in the light is this umbrella free. It's this big, giant, all-encompassing metaphor for going all in with Jesus. Walking in the light is saying, I'm out of darkness, whatever he wills, whatever he says, whatever he calls me to, whatever his stated intentions are for my life, I am walking in the light of God. I'm in. And John says, when a community of people does that together, two things are given to you, two beautiful things. Number one, you finally get the joy of community. And number two, you finally get the joy 
of a clear conscience and forgiveness from sin. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so that's biblical doctrinal truth that we're building this church on. Now, it could be very easy for you to say to me, Cruz, walking in the light sounds awesome, but it's so vague and general and metaphorical and poetic. Ooh, how do we actually go do that together? What does it mean to walk in the light? Well, in love, in this text, the Spirit gives us one practice, one rhythm, one commitment or instance of walking in the light. There's a parallel here, and then he says this in verse 9. Amy read it. If we confess our sins, it's tied to if we walk in the light, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so feel this with me from the text, and then we're going to go on a ride. Whatever else walking in the light together means, and we want all of whatever it means, one thing it definitely means is we are going to confess our sins to each other. This is such awesome news for me, because when I see this clarification, I go, so walking in the light does not mean living a sinless life. Walking in the light means living an honest life or an open life. Everyone see this? Walking in the light means getting out there and confessing my sin. It doesn't mean I have to live a sinless life, but it does mean I have to live an honest life, an open life. That's what we're going for in the field, in the life of this church Let's talk about three ways that we do this. We are going to confess sin freely. We're trying to build a church, create a culture where people can confess their sin freely, freely. Let's work on that word of our life together. 1992, college, tons of sin in my life. Included in that was the sin of pornography. 75, 80% of the men in this church, in this city, 15, 20% of our women struggle with that sin. In our ox track this week, one of our guys was confessing his fight with that sin, and he said it like this, that sin is a killer. It's a killer. I was like, that's the perfect way to describe it. It's this perfect storm of lust and manipulation and shame and violence, in a sense, and aloneness and control, and then the physical aspects to it, that you can fall deep into this sin. So in college, I'm a brawl with a lot of sin, and this one included. And nobody knew about this. Nobody knew. The church culture that I grew up in was low on grace and high on performance. Low on grace but high on performance. That meant it was not safe to be a sinner in this culture. And so you keep your sin in the darkness to yourself. All right, finally, I was like, forget this. I want to be holy. I want to be free. I want to walk in the light. I didn't know my Bible well enough to know that was in there, but that was what was in my heart. I want to be a good husband someday. I want to be clean. So I went and I sat with the spiritual life dorm director. This was a Christian undergraduate school that I was at. 
And I went, I sat with him in his dorm room and I reached into my legalistic church bag of tricks and I pulled out the third person confession. Do you know about this? You want to confess something, but you pin it on your friend. They're really struggling with this over here. So I sat with him and I said, hey, there's this guy on my wing, Johnny, and he's really struggling with all of these sins over here. How can I love this guy? What can I say? How can I help him? What did I need to hear right there from my brother in Christ desperately? I needed some safety. I needed some empathy. I needed to just say, dude, you're 20. Growing up in America, I get it. It's going to be okay. Some compassion. And then I needed some good, thick gospel truth, some theology. I wish he would have just said, here's a book on the doctrines of grace. Go read that so that you can breathe or your friend can breathe. I needed him to tell me, here's what you do with Johnny. Sit down with him and say, Johnny, you're safe with me to confess your sin. We're both sinners in the need of Jesus' grace. Tell Johnny, this is so beautiful. Your heart is so soft that you, you want to be clean and you want to be holy. And then talk with Johnny about the doctrines of grace and the power of the Spirit and the timeline of sanctification emerging from justification, anything like that. That is what I needed, gospel safety and gospel truth. Here is what I got. Long pause. Then he looked me right in the eye and he said, well, obviously, if he's sinning like that, your buddy must not be a Christian. Exact words, must not be a Christian. True story. So the one time that I attempted to walk in the light... That was the smackdown that I received. It was literally not until a couple of years into the life of this church right here, Seven Mile Road being planted, that I tried again. This time it was with Kevin Luce. Kevin and Bridget were missionaries in the Comoros Islands off the eastern coast of Africa. Grab a globe, spin it six times, put your finger down, and you'll find where they were, way out there above Madagascar. I knew immediately that Kev was one of those deep waters kind of souls, you know those souls? And I thought it may be safe for me to to talk with this guy. Uh, They were exploring our church. They had hung out with us for a year. I called him and said, can we sit and talk with about you guys actually making a real run with us in what we're trying to do? So we came down. We're sitting together. We're both in these rickety folding chairs. You know, church plants always have the worst chairs imaginable. We were in two church planting chairs. I was going to cast some vision for what the Lord had put on my heart and what we were trying to do together. I ended up confessing out loud for the first time with no edits and no third-party games all of the sin that was in my heart and in my life at that point. And this is now about five, seven years later. So all things had gotten compiled from there. I put it all right out on the table before him, just like this. In all of its ridiculousness, in all of its stupidity, in all of its ugliness, there it was. In other words, I took the risk to walk in the light with my brother. And then I waited 
for Kev's response. I had these flashbacks to the dorm room, right? I was ready for, hold on, you're a pastor? I'm not even sure if you're a Christian. I was ready for that. Or uh, Bridget and I got to find somewhere else to worship. Kevin nodded at me. Long pause. If you've ever met him, he has that skill, right? He just like looks right through your eyes all the way down into your soul. Another long pause. And then he proceeded to do the same thing that I had just done. And he said, yeah, I get that. Let me talk to you about my life. I don't know how long we were in this room, but it was two grown men alone in a room, finally, with all of our sin and our need for grace, confessed, brought out into the light. You know what else was in that room for the first time ever for me, or subjectively experiencing it? The things that John just wrote about. Fellowship. Forgiveness. I mean, I knew I was forgiven, but that day, I knew I was forgiven, if you know what I'm saying. And freedom, freedom finally to go from there. That was the day that I, anyway, personally anchored in the ground. We are going to become a place where it is safe to freely confess our sin to each other. We're going to be that place. This is what the gospel is for. It is not for building a community that ducks and dodges and hides. It is not for recruiting religious Navy SEALs who can do incredible feats for Jesus. It's not to be really close until things are not going smooth anymore. It is for sinners to walk in the light together. You have gone there with us, and I love you for it. I love you for it. In all of our tracks, many of our gospel communities, we begin with our stories of sin and grace, and people just say, here's what's going on with me. Here's where I need Jesus' mercy. The swiftness with which you guys confess sin is astounding. I've been on the phone with you, talking with you about preparing for a funeral and uh, um, thinking through that, and instead of just talking logistics with me, you have confessed sin to me. And today, can I talk to you about a couple of things that this has raised in my heart? Because there's some ugliness in there that I need Jesus to forgive me of. And I'll be standing on my porch looking at my cell phone, weeping at your willingness to walk in the light with us. I've had teenagers sit in our car with me and say, can I talk with you about something that I've done or something that I've said? Because I want to be free. I want to be holy. I want to be forgiven. We're creating a culture where we're going to walk in the light by confessing our sin so that we might be tight and we might be free. Freely and swiftly coming clean on the junk in our lives, dragging them into the light where Jesus can forgive and heal. We are going to confess sin freely. All right, second thing this has looked at for us is this. We are going to confess sin concretely. Remember in this field guide that we're writing, it's not just theological vision, but it's, it's practical. How do we do this? So let's talk about this one together. 
one of the things that walking in the light is going to require of you is that you begin to confess your sin concretely, concretely. We all prefer to avoid having to confess our sin at all, right? And then when we do, we prefer having to confess our sin explicitly. Like, this is actually really what I'm talking about. Uh, Instead of saying, I lusted this week and I clicked on some terrible videos and here's why, how do we say it? I had a bad day with my eyes on Tuesday. And then I'm like, do you have allergies? Did your contacts like get scratchy in there? What happened? Feel the difference? I disciplined my son who I love in anger. Here's what I did. When we confess it, what do we say? Oh man, my son really pushes my buttons. See how much nicer that sounds? I lied. Does anyone ever say that in America anymore? What do we say? I proactively withheld some information. It depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. I committed adultery becomes I had an affair. We've made that word up for these purposes, right? I'm telling you that I've sat in a room with a pastor who had committed adultery and exploded his church. By the grace of Jesus, he had been restored. It was, it was a very beautiful thing. But everyone in the room knew that the elephant in the room was, if this guy's going to mentor us, that's going to be a part of his mentoring of this room of guys. Three hours into the day when he finally got around to talking about that fact and that season in his life, the exact way that he phrased it was this. He said, we went through the darkest time in our life. We went through the darkest time in our life. And I remember thinking, did you have a bad car accident? Because that could be a dark time. Were you the victim of a burglary? That could be a dark time. Did you go through a dry spell in your devotional life? That could be a dark time. Or did you commit a really bad sexual sin against your wife and against this woman and against the people in our church? Why don't we just call it what it is? A friend of mine had their church go through a struggle with an affair with the staff. And in the whole church discipline process, Nobody ever said the phrase committed adultery. They used all these roundabout ways of talking about it. We're not doing that here. Walking in the light is not confessing that we had a bad day. It is confessing that we have broken the good and beautiful law of God in some terrible ways. And you have done that with us and with me. And I love you for it. I've sat in rooms with you where you have said, let me tell you exactly what's been going on. I'm bringing it in the light. I lied. I committed adultery. I coveted. I envied. I'm a man, but I'm a feminine and I'm a coward. I am married, but I get a rise out of flirting with other women who I am not married to. I am a woman but I do not respect my husband. And here's the way I talked to him this week in the kitchen in front of my kids. 
I am lazy, Matt. So lazy. I watched 18 hours of college and pro football in one weekend instead of doing the things I was supposed to do. I actually worked all the way through Game of Thrones seasons three and four in two days. I love money so much that I make $100,000, but I barely give. Does everyone see what I'm doing there? Now there's no more, do you have allergies or not? Now we can love you. Now you can actually be set free from your sin. Now we can deal with this. Naming our sin allows us to be forgiven. Jesus Christ bled and died to forgive me and you of our lying and our coveting, not of our bad deeds. True story. When Brandon was little, he was messing with my iTunes, and he did something that he knows he was not supposed to do. He changed one of my hip-hop song titles to, I wrote it down, Blop Fart. When I was listening to my music and it pulled up on the screen and said, Blop Fart, I was like, "Uh uh-oh. I sat with Brandon, and I asked him what he had done, and he refused to tell me what he had done out loud. Because we take naming our sins so seriously in our home, dad first, we sat in those chairs for a long time. He was adamant that he was not going to tell me what he did, and I was adamant that he was going to confess his sin concretely to me. It was not enough for me, because I love this boy, to cop out and say, just tell daddy that you did something wrong. I waited and I waited and I waited. And finally, he asked me if he could write it down. I said, great, a confession of sin on ink and paper is totally fine with me. What he handed me is one of those notes that your kids give you that you'll save forever. It's exactly what it said. Dear dad, it's very formal. Dear dad, here is what I did. I changed the name of the song to Blop Fart. Love, Brandon. Does everyone feel that? I read it. He was like six or seven. I held him. I forgave him. But I was so glad that the grace of God in our home and in his life was creating room for him to be forgiven of real sin. We are going to confess our sin concretely in this church so that we might be forgiven of it and free from it. None of you who have looked me in the eye and said, here's what I've done. Will God forgive me? Will you forgive me? You know that as far as that sin goes, it's over because it's been brought out into the light. Would you begin to confess your your sin concretely with each other? And then last one, here it is. Feel guide, how do we do this? We are going to confess our sin repentantly. We're going to confess our sin repentantly. We are not confessing sin as some secular therapeutic exercise to help us feel a little bit better about ourselves. That's not what we're doing. We are confessing our sin so that we might be forgiven and free and done with it. A few years ago, there was an art display in Las Vegas, and the curator invited all the guests that were at this one hotel for the weekend to go into these private booths anonymously 
and to write down on these pretty little Pinterest kind of cards their sin. Confessions of their sin. So for a whole week, and all these people in Vegas went into this private booth anonymously, took out a pen on this flowery card, and wrote down their junk. Things like this. I'm in love with my best friend. Too bad he's married. I steal pens from work. The day that I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, I finally stopped using cocaine. I eat too much cheese. I'm afraid I'll die alone. I'm giving you that sample because could you feel how some of that is ridiculous and some of that is intense and serious and there's been a muddying of the waters of weakness and sin. The Huffington Post wrote a story about this display and this is what they said. Through the project, Chang, she was the artist, shows how the personal and the public, when intertwined, can increase our happiness and sense of community. Anonymously writing down your sins or your weaknesses and posting them up there, oh, they take a weight off. You're happier now. And you realize that everybody in the room is a sinner, so now we have some community together. Confession of sin is good therapy. Just do it anonymously so nobody can follow up with you but you'll feel better about yourself. What's the problem with that? Oh, sorry about that. Turn that off. What's the problem with that? Anonymous confession of sin is a half measure, right? It's a half measure. We're trying to grab some of the benefits of gospel grace and this rhythm of walking in the light without actually repenting of our sin. That's called therapy. There might be some remorse in there, so it's not a bad thing, but it's not far enough because it's not repentance. Seeking forgiveness of sin and change from sin. In Acts 20, when Paul talks about the main message that he pressed with people, he says it like this, I came testifying to everybody, good people and bad people, Jews and Greeks, of, and then he gives us that beautiful word, repentance. Feel the difference with me between walking in the light repentantly and confessing sin anonymously. It's not just, I've done some dirt and now I feel better that I told you. It is, I've done some dirt and I want to be clean, whatever it takes. So we're not just talking here about cataloging our sin. We're talking about repenting of it. The difference is everything. Two final stories for you. Two couples, two scenarios, but opposite poles so that you can feel this. Sat with a couple one time in the life of our church, and they said, can you meet with us? We're a mess. We need some help. We sat together. They brought out into the light all of their sin. There was drug use. There was heroin. There was lies and manipulation of each other. There was bad financial sin. There was a lot of anger and almost physical anger, but a lot of shouting and attacking. He was withholding sexual relations from her to punish her. All of these things were confessed. And I made a rookie pastor mistake. 
I rushed very quickly past repentance and sorrow and the seriousness of all of that sin very quickly to the grace of Jesus. And I remember right away saying, okay, that's a lot of sin. Do you know about the gospel of the grace of Jesus? And they didn't look back at me with broken hearts, sorrowful over their sin. They just looked at me like, yeah, we, we've heard about that. You've talked about that. Isn't that God's job to forgive us of sin? Isn't that kind of what he does? We, we kind of need you to fix this now. We told you everything. Now what do we do? Did they confess their sin freely? Yes. Did they confess their sin concretely? Yes. Did they confess their sin repentantly? See, that's not what was going on in that room, and I didn't take the time as a good pastor to get to that place and to say, let's talk about law and grace. Where is your heart with these things? You just want to get better fast, or do you want to repent of this sin? Those are two different things. Walking in the light entails repentance. Totally different couple sat together with them, actually with Patty, to love on them. And there was some deep sin in this marriage and in this life. And like all marriage relational difficulties, there's one person whose sin is on the surface that causes the chaos, and then there's the other person's sin who's prettier and more hidden, but just as culpable that's fed into the chaos. And so we sat together up on this room and they confessed their sin freely and she confessed her sin concretely and we slowed down and we made sure to bring the weight of that sin to that room so that it was clear how awful this was from both parties. And in that conversation, they got it. And there was not just remorse or what's the quick fix, but there was repentance. And in that room, all that John talks about happened. Fellowship with one another. If that couple showed up right now today, we would be best friends in the world. And forgiveness and freedom from sin. We're going to confess our sin concretely. We're going to confess our sin freely but we're going to confess our sin repentantly, like for real, so that there might be change. The invitation in the gospel is that we might walk in the light together. So that means two invitations with you. Number one, be a safe place for the person next to you. Be a safe place for the person next to you. Don't threaten them. Don't manipulate them. Don't squint your eyes like this when you hear about how bad they are. We're going to walk in the light together. That means you need to be an inviting and warm and illuminating presence like God in people's lives. And number two, if you are still in the darkness of your sin, come on out into the light with us. This is a good place to do that. Jesus will sweep in with forgiveness and you'll be free. And you will find a church that you will never want to leave because you know that the transforming power of the gospel is alive and at work in us. All right, let's pray together. Father, thanks for your grace. 
Thanks that you tell us to be done dodging and hiding. Thanks that our 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds are all safe to walk in the light where they're at, what their sin is. I pray that you would be gracious to forgive our sins, faithful and just to do it. You promised to do it. And I pray that here and in Waltham and in Methuen and Philly and Kennebunk and Houston, that if anything is true about these communities, that this would be true. Those people walk in the light together. They're not sinless, but they're honest and they're open. Thanks for the invitation that you give us to do that together. We love you. Amen. Amen.